I do love that song. I, I love the question, who am I? And um, sometimes that's good for us to remember when we feel like being offended. Who, who am I? But it goes on to answer the question, who am I? I? I am yours. And that's so wonderful. It's not just that God saves us from an eternity in hell, which is true, but he redeems us to himself. He draws us to himself. He brings us near to himself. He is our God, and we are his people. We, we are his. That's precious. Amen. Well, let's look together in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to close out Matthew chapter 6 this morning as we continue to work our way uh, pretty methodically, it turns out, um, through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll read the passage for you. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? in the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? <coughs> Pardon me. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The, the word of God. I read an article this week um, as I was preparing this message it was written by Megan Brooks, and I saw it on the Medscape website, dated May 11th of this year. It's about the uh, anxiety epidemic in America. And here are some excerpts from that article. Most adults in the United States, 70%, are anxious or extremely anxious about keeping themselves or their families 
safe. Overall, nearly two in five adults, almost 40%, report feeling more anxious than they were at this time last year. Other issues, keep, other issues keeping Americans up at night, including keeping their identity safe, 68%, their health, 66%, paying bills or expenses, 65%, climate change, 59%, the opioid epidemic, 50%, and the impact of emerging technology on day-to-day -day life, 45%. Two-thirds, so about 68% of American adults report that their children and teenagers have more mental health problems than they did a decade ago. We live in an anxious society. Americans are worried. Americans are stressed. And remember, we are the wealthiest and most prosperous nation in the history of the world where real starvation and nakedness are practically unheard of. And yet, we're an extraordinarily anxious, uptight people. Well, what Jesus has to say to us today uh, addresses that issue head on. I'm sure you've already picked up on it as I've read through the passage. So overall, the theme is do not be anxious or don't worry. And remember, this is from Dr. Jesus, King Jesus, who is himself the word of God. Don't worry. So the first thing we see here in verse 25 is really the, the main point. Jesus makes it easy on us to track what he's saying. He gives us the main point at the beginning and at the end of the passage so we understand what he's driving at. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And the word therefore, the beginning of verse 25, it uh, refers back to verse 24 and really the rest of that passage. In other words, what Jesus says here in our passage for today is connected with what he's already said. In fact, it's a bit of a conclusion. It's a bit of a uh, logical extension of what he's already said. What did he already say? Well, no one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, he says in verse 25, do not be anxious. And when he talks about our lives, what we will eat, what we will drink, our bodies, what we will put on, these are all things that people typically spend money on. And that culture a lot more than our culture. 
that culture was much more in a survival mode. We're in a uh, situation where there's so much uh, entertainment and so much leisure. The, the idea of laboring and working and being anxious for our day-to-day survival is just foreign to us. But not them. The people that Jesus was looking at in the eyeballs and saying these words to directly, when they got some money, it was already earmarked for clothing, for food, for drink, for survival. And so being consumed with money leads to being anxious, that according to Jesus. And that word anxious is a very important word in the passage. Uh, In the ESV, did you notice how many times it shows up? Verse 25, do not be anxious. Verse 28, why are you anxious? Verse 34, 31, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious. Do you get the idea that that's the main point of the passage? So one, two, three, four, five times. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. And the original word there that Matthew recorded for us means to have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. And so a synonym is worry. The King James says, uh, give no thought for. And that frankly misses the point a little bit because that can lead to the conclusion that I should give no thought for what I eat and drink and put on my body in terms of clothing. And the Bible doesn't teach that absolutely. The Bible says that uh, whatever endeavor we set ourselves to do, we should do it with all of our might. We should be diligent in our work. We should be prudent in our planning. We should not be lazy. We should not be presumptuous. And we should think about how we're going to feed and clothe our families for sure. So that's not what Jesus is touching on here. He's not saying don't work, don't make plans. He's not saying that we should be passive, floating about in life like a leaf floating about on the wind. No, he's talking about anxiety. He's talking about worry. He's talking about fear. We shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't worry. And why is that? Because God provides. God is our provider. The doctrine that basically teaches this, that God provides for all of his creatures, 
is the doctrine of providence. And the idea of the providence of God is that God is absolutely sovereign over all of his creation. All of his creation depends on him for its moment-by-moment existence as well as for its, its care. We're completely dependent on the Lord. But then also notice in verse 25, the second part or the second sentence in that verse, Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, when he was praying to his father, said this, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is what life is all about. That is why we are here. We're here to know and to glorify our God and our Redeemer. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the one who brings the invisible God into our visible realm. And the whole point of our existence is to know that God, to grow in our knowledge of him. That's the meaning of life. The meaning of life is not just earthbound. It's not just time-dependent. It's not about things that pass away with the using, things that have an expiration date. But our life is all about the eternal God with whom believers will spend our eternal lives knowing and loving and enjoying and worshiping and glorifying. So that's the main point. Next, Jesus gives us some earthy examples. I changed the, the outline on the back of your bulletin. I think earthy examples fits a little bit better. That's in verses 26 through 30. Notice these earthy examples. Jesus turns to nature, to God's creation. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Remember we saw that in Luke chapter 12 last time about this rich man who's so rich and prosperous he accumulates more and more uh, harvest and he's concerned about where he's going to store it all so he decides he's going to build bigger barns. Birds don't worry about such things. And yet, Jesus goes on, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then here's this very important statement at the end of verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? That's a rhetorical question. The obvious understood answer is, well, yes, of course, people are of more value than birds. 
Now today, that's a controversial point. If you sit in a biology class in just about any university in America, in the whole Western world, in fact, or any public school, they, they teach philosophical evolution that teaches that people really aren't of any uh, more value than anything else. We're, we're made of stardust. We're just the result of a whole bunch of fortuitous, uh, by chance collisions of molecules and atoms. And out popped our DNA and our incredible bodies with all of its obvious design and our souls and our consciousness and our morality and our sense of being and our asking ourselves the question, why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Just chance. But we're just highly evolved animals. In fact, really, we're not really that evolved either because we're, we're so genetically similar to chimpanzees and other primates. So there's, there's no qualitative jump between animals and human beings. In fact, I, uh, we had this Disney collection of cartoons we used to show our kids when uh, Disney was a little bit more with it than they are these days. But still, it was interesting this was a song, and Jiminy Cricket <clears throat> sang the song, and he said, uh, you are a human animal. And it dawned on me at some point, huh, do I really want my kids hearing this drilled into their brains? You are a human animal? And the, idea, the answer is no, I don't. So we got rid of that tape. Anyway, we're told that we are of equal value, really, with animals. Some animals are more important than humans, in fact. But Jesus was not an evolutionist. Jesus did not believe that we're animals ourselves, just farther up the evolutionary family tree. We're fundamentally different creatures than animals. We are both creatures. But what makes human beings different and therefore of more value than birds, chimpanzees, whales, and all other creatures is that human beings and human beings alone have been created in the image of God. We resemble God, not physically, but spiritually and morally, emotionally, mentally. And physically, in the sense that when God became, that in the sense that God became man and dwelt among us as a man. But that's what sets us apart. We are image bearers of God. Therefore, all human beings, no matter who they are, are of more value than birds. And Jesus' point here is that if God takes care of the birds of the air, 
then won't he take care of you? And then here's the second earthy example. Verse 27, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And here the original word is cubit, which I'm sure you're aware is a unit of length. But Jesus isn't talking about height. He's talking about, like the ESV translates it here, the, our lifespan, the span of our life. And the idea is that um, no matter how anxious we are, no matter how worried we are, no matter how many nights we stay up late and toss and turn, we cannot add a single hour to our span of life. And that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Not only can we not extend our lifespan by worrying, but the opposite is true. Worrying, anxiety tends to shorten our lives. So this is a truism. And then here's The third example from Jesus, starting in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They they neither toil nor spin. So first he talked about birds of the air. Now he's talking about uh, flowers, the lilies of the field. Then in verse 29, now I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory. We're not told specifically in the Bible about Solomon's wardrobe, but we, <clears throat> we are told that he was immensely rich. And he lived that way. He showed it. And so undoubtedly he dressed that way too. Jesus says that even Solomon in all of his Glory. Was not arrayed like one of these. The flowers of the field are more beautiful and more glorious and more majestic than the best dressed king or oligarch or politician or celebrity or even churchgoer. In the world. And he continues. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. So here he's talking about the temporary nature of green grass. And we're very familiar with that, aren't we? Um, I remember when the rains came in the springtime and we were talking about the green rattlemockers. And I remember telling you, (laughs) enjoy it while you can because in a few weeks, it's going to be gone. And sure enough, there wasn't many weeks and there's not much green in the rattlemockers anymore. And the point being that 
the green grass on the Rademachers was God clothing the Rademachers for that period of time. But as short as it was, that was still God clothing the hills. And if God is concerned about the Rademacher hills and the green grass for those few weeks in the springtime, then how much more is he concerned about providing necessary clothing for us, Jesus says. Notice how he closes verse 30. Oh, you of little faith. Anxiety, worry, it's the opposite of faith. And as these words come out of my mouth to you, I'm not immune. No one has perfect faith, including me. And I, I know what it's like to be anxious and to worry. And so the word of Jesus to all of us is, O oh, you of little faith. To the extent that we worry and we're anxious about things that just don't last. To that extent, our faith is small and it needs to grow. Before we move on to the next point, I would like to answer an objection, though. Somebody might say, but birds and flowers die. It seems like there's a limit to God providing for them, feeding them, clothing them. Well, frankly, that's true. We do live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-cursed world. And remember, death entered this creation because of sin. Death is an ever-present reality in this world. And we're all painfully familiar with that. Death affects the natural world, not just human beings. It does affect birds and all other animals. It does affect the grass of the field. But while they live, God takes care of all his creatures. And here's the thing. For believers... God cares for our material needs. He provides what we need in this life, but he also cares about our death. In Psalm 16, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So it's not that God's provision is temporary and then up, Death has the last word. But God's provision continues even up to and through death for the believer. Remember what David wrote in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. 
And in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, we're told that Jesus delivers those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And that's so true in some form or another. The fear of death grips unbelievers. They're afraid to die. And frankly, for good reason, because the Bible says it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And people's consciences tell them, I'm not ready for that day of judgment. I'm not ready to face my maker. And so people are often anxious. They're fearful of death. And Jesus delivers his people from that. God provides for us even when it comes to death. Praise his name. It's a gracious God. All right, moving on in the passage. Jesus now teaches us about living differently in verses 31 through 32. So in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And here, Gentiles does not mean non-Jews. Gentiles here is a catch-all term It's a metaphor, really, to refer to unbelievers, those who are not God's people under the new covenant. And so unbelievers seek after all these things. That means they're devoted to all these things. This is what their life is all about. This is what they spend their their time and their resources themselves, pursuing. Life is all about these things. Don't be like that, Jesus says, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And that's a very important word, need. The Bible does not promise us that God will give us whatever our covetous hearts desire. But the Bible does promise us that as believers, God will supply all our needs. And we read about that from Psalm 37. But just remember what that word need includes. To us... That means I need a vehicle with cruise control and really good climate control and I need a DVD screen for my kids in the back seat to watch. The Bible says, with food and clothing, with these we should be content. The Bible's definition 
of our needs is a little bit different than modern America's definition of needs. But still, God knows that we need them all. He knows that we need food. He knows that we need clothing. And yes, living in Ridgecrest, he knows that we need shelter. He knows all of our needs. And he's committed to providing for all of our needs. Therefore, we don't have to worry and be anxious. Therefore, we don't have to commit all of our time and resources and thoughts and energy to just seeking and pursuing the things of this life like unbelievers do. We have bandwidth, spiritual bandwidth, mental bandwidth to seek the kingdom of God. And that's what comes next. Verse 33, the priority and promise of God's kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, just be like everybody else and have your priority Food and clothing and shelter and cruise control, internet, 5G, and number 146 on your priority list, tack on God and his kingdom. Jesus does not say that God and his kingdom is something that can be thrown at the end, appended to our list of priorities. No. Jesus takes our list of priorities and throws them in the trash. And he starts with a blank slate. And he says, okay, now let's write down your priorities, the priorities for your life. Number one, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Notice that that's not the only thing on our priority list because he does say, and all these things will be added to you. It's not that the kingdom of God and his righteousness is it, but it's numero uno. It's the highest priority on the believer's list of priorities according to Jesus. Nothing else compares. Everything else is a distant second. And let's talk about it a little bit. But seek first the kingdom of God. We've seen before that the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in the hearts of his people through the gospel. That's why the gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. It's all about the good news of what Jesus has done for sinners like us. 
He has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. And he was raised from the dead for our justification. And because of what Jesus has done in bearing the wrath of God, living a perfect life for us, and being raised again for our justification, we receive as a free gift from God the very righteousness of God. You can read about that in the book of Romans and in Colossians, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 3. The, the righteousness of God is the main thing that we get in our justification. And so if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that implies that a pressing question on my soul that drives me, that haunts me until I have that question settled is how am I going to be made right in the sight of a holy God? How am I, a sinner, going to be made right in the sight of a holy God? How can I be made righteous? And the answer of the Bible is, you can't make yourself righteous. This righteousness doesn't come through anything that you do or anything that goes through you. It's received as a free gift of God through faith. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you trust in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, God grants you, he imputes to you the very righteousness of God. And that is at the center of the kingdom of God and what we're supposed to be seeking. So at the top of our priority list is the righteousness of God. And true, it is true that that leads to righteous living, holy living on our part. And that's what Jesus has been describing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And so part of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is indeed living in a way that pleases and glorifies God. It includes knowing God, like he's presented in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. It includes worshiping God, Jesus has talked about prayer and fasting sincerely from the heart, not hypocritically. And it means bringing others into God's kingdom. Just as you, as a believer, you're a member of God's kingdom because you've embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been justified as a gift of his grace, so it motivates you to bring others into his kingdom. And again, that's supposed to be our priority. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we need to have our priorities recalibrated. We need to go back to the drawing board and we need to reorient what we really think is important in life 
and follow the teaching of Jesus, the things that are important in our lives really, not just with what we say, but how we spend our money and our time, our thoughts, our energy. We need to go back to the drawing board and listen to the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. And you're not going to go broke. You're not going to starve. You're not going to be running around the streets of Ridgecrest with no clothes, thank God. God will provide. We have his word. Then finally, in verse 34, putting worry in its place. Remember how the whole passage began with the word therefore? Verse 25. Well, here it is again, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It's another truism. It's another just obvious fact of life. But the way Jesus says it, it's funny. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It's as if he, he personifies tomorrow. Like, tomorrow has a mind of its own. Tomorrow has worries of its own. And then he says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A further promise of the Bible is that God gives his people grace. When we come to the throne of grace, we find uh, mercy and help in the time of trouble. And what we see over and over again in um, the stories of the Bible, people's testimonies in the Bible, people's stories in church history, I think in our own personal stories, if we would sit around and share them, over and over again we, we hear that we get grace from God, mercy from God, help from God, when we need it. We don't get tomorrow's grace today. We don't get tomorrow's help today. We get today's grace, today's mercy, today's help for today's trials. And that's absolutely true. And because God does that for us each day, we can be confident and therefore free of worry and free of anxiety that the way that he met our needs today is a guarantee that he'll meet our needs tomorrow. That's what Jesus is saying. What's the first step? putting worry in its place. The first step is this little word that Jesus uses earlier in uh, Matthew's gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
We've talked about that word repentance. It means a change of mind. It's a change of mind that shows itself in a changed life. And a lot of us, a lot of modern Americans need repentance in this area. We're anxious, we're worried, because our priorities are upside down. We're worried about things that are temporary, and we don't think enough about things that last forever, and we're not putting our trust in the God who made us, the God of providence. If that describes you characteristically, if you've never come to the point where you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then today would be a great day to come to Jesus and be saved. He says so much about our uh, life in sin. He exposes our sin so much. This is just one example. But he is a gentle and a faithful and a gracious Savior. And he promises to not turn away anyone who comes to him. And so if you're convicted today that the way you've spent your life, it's just basically useless, it's in vain, it's purposeless in terms of eternity, then come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess that sin as well as all of your other sins that come to your mind. And come to Jesus and embrace him by faith. Take him to be your Lord and your Savior, and he will save you. And he will save you from living a life of purposelessness, a life of vanity. And he will set you free to live for eternity.